1: I'm Brian
2: Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
3: It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Tech taking a tumble Tuesday with the Nasdaq on facing its longest losing streak in more than five years. Futures are fighting for gains. This ahead of Apple's iPhone unveil event today. What Apple fans and investors should expect out of Cupertino coming up? In Europe, the spigots still shut off when it comes to natural gas and Russia's Nord Stream pipeline. Now, policymakers are racing to cap prices and save a region likely heading towards recession. Plus, crypto crashing once again as one of the biggest players in the block rolls out a major system upgrade. What billionaire investor Mark Cuban thinks about all of this? And later, Bed Bath & Beyond looking to soothe investor concerns after the death of one of its top executives. It is Wednesday, September 7th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to wherever you are in the world. I'm Sima Modi, in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Let's get kick, let's kick it off with Wednesday morning futures. A look at where stocks are trading right now. We did end lower in yesterday's trade. Right now, we're indicated higher, with the Dow currently up 61 points, Nasdaq higher by 42 points in pre-market trade. This after another down day for stocks yesterday, that saw the Nasdaq and lower for the seventh session in a row. Its longest losing streak since November of 2016, when it fell for nine straight sessions. It's now. More than 28% below its recent all-time high. Let's take a look at what's happening in the bond market. Yields across the board continue their climb higher, their highest level since mid-June right now, with a 10-year yield uh, yielding about 3.31%. So we're off the high that we hit at 3.5%. In early June. In the oil market, it's been a volatile couple days for crude oil, falling once again. Brent crude at uh, $93 and change, up slightly at this hour. Natural gas down about 1.3%. In crypto land, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether at this hour. Let's get a quick check here. Bitcoin uh, bracing for another downturn here, below 19,000, trading at 18,807. Ether, at 1523, down about 3% at this hour. That's a look at markets, but let's go around the world. A mostly lower session overnight in Asia after some weaker-than-expected trade data out of China. Shanghai Composite Flat in South Korea. Stocks were down about 1.4%. Things are just getting started in Europe, taking a look at early trade there. Markets are down. We are in negative territory. Speaking of Europe, President Biden speaking for the first time last night with the U.K.'s new prime minister, Liz Truss, after she officially took office. Jamana Brasechi joining us now from London. Jamana.
4: Good morning, Seema. That's correct. The President Biden did speak to Britain's new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, over the phone for the first time on Tuesday. The British leader paused a slew of cabinet appointments to make time for the conversation, which a White House readout says included deepening cooperation on NATO and the AUKUS security agreement. Now, speaking to the President after holding her first call with Ukraine's Volodymyr Zelensky, Truss told Biden that she looks forward to working closely to counter the impact of Putin's war in the country. But there is one issue where Truss and the president may not see eye to eye, and that is Northern Ireland. Now, Biden, who is of Irish descent, has been outspoken on his commitment to the Good Friday peace agreement, which came into focus during Truss's stint as foreign secretary amid disagreements with the EU on the British-run region. Now, Biden could meet Truss again as soon as this month during the U.N. General Assembly meeting in New York City. And, of course, all eyes on how the relationship between the two sides evolve as we uh, continue to uh, see how things evolve as well on the Northern Ireland Protocol over here in the UK, SEMA.
3: Yeah, and finding common ground on Russia, of course, as always. Jamada, great to see you. Thank you for that. Let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is here with that. Good morning, Bertha.
5: Hey, good morning, Sema. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters, one of the largest labor unions in the U.S., is formally launching an Amazon division with the sole focus of unionizing Amazon workers. That move by the Teamsters, which has more than a million members, comes after the worker-led Amazon labor union won its first victory at a warehouse in Staten Island, New York, earlier this year. No comment from Amazon just yet. Bed Bath & Beyond, hoping to ease some investor concerns around leadership and its turnaround plan, promoting its head of accounting to interim chief financial officer following the sudden death by suicide of its former CFO, Gustavo Arnal. The announcement by Bed Bath it comes after a rough day for the stock, closing down nearly 20 percent yesterday. And a recession in Germany is inevitable as high inflation hits consumers and businesses. That, according to Deutsche Bank CEO Christian Zeving, speaking at a summit in Frankfurt, Zeving says central banks need to act quickly to tame price gains, adding, quote, the longer inflation remains high, the greater the strain and the higher the potential for social conflict. Those are some pretty ominous words, Seema. There it is,
3: the R word again. Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs with the latest headlines. We'll see you later. Back on Wall Street, two areas of the market getting hit hard in recent days. First, tech and the Nasdaq. The index on pace to extend its longest losing streak since 2016 today, down seven sessions in a row. Tracking the ETFs, ETFs like the QQQ also down sharply in the past month and year. The risk off trade in bonds as well, specifically high yield. Take a look at the JNK and HYG ETS, both down more than 5 percent this month. This after a report in The Wall Street Journal yesterday highlighting the financial pain spreading across the junk loan market with defaults on so-called leverage loans in August, hitting its highest monthly total since October of 2020, with more expected in the weeks ahead. For more, let's bring in Delana Saparu, New Street Advisors Group, founder and CEO, CNBC contributor, and Andres Skiba, head of U.S. Blue Bay Fixed Income and RBC Global Asset Management. Great to see you both, gentlemen. And Delana, I'll start with you. The risks we're seeing, the moves we're seeing in the high yield junk market, any cause for concern there as to what it could tell us about the broader move in the equity market?
0: Hey, Skiba, great to see you. I, I think, you know, Focusing on a little bit more on the equities market, um, where we kind of focus on our investing is it's really interesting to see the risk off trade happening here. And I think you're seeing, you know, growth is obviously dragging. Rates are moving higher. And you're consistently seeing investors have an appetite for more of those defensive plays and those dividend stocks as, you know, we go into September, which has, you know, been historically a rough time for equities is kind of being played into fruition with how investors are thinking right now. Because if you look at it historically, S&P 500 um, has been down, you know, we're down here today into September. You know, when that index is down, we've averaged a loss of 3.4% during the month. When you've seen uh, that index being up going into September, you've been around flat. And so investors have seen what's going on with our inflation. We obviously had the comments from the Fed and Fed Chair. Um, And so, you know, a lot of what investors are doing now, and I think it's smart for investors to do, is play the patient game in a situation if you're not looking for longer-term plays, Seema.
3: Andres, what do you make of the sell-off in the Nasdaq? I mean, at the lows, since the lows that we hit back in June, the Nasdaq has rallied about 20 percent. But in the last seven trading sessions, we've given up a lot of that.
6: Uh, hello, Sima. It almost feels like before Jackson Hole, the market got too optimistic about the Federal Reserve uh, changing tack. And uh, they got a bit of a cold shower poured over those hopes. So it feels like uh, like we're in a readjustment period, uh, a bit more to normality. Uh, so what is happening uh, seems perfectly normal. Uh, also, I would not be too worried about what is happening in the high yield market. When you look at the high yield bond market, defaults are actually running at close to historical lows so we're not too concerned about those developments.
3: OK, uh, Delano, you're, what is the tech trade right now? Are you buying the dip in any of these tech names? I was looking at a name like NVIDIA now down about 65 percent from its November high.
0: Yeah, I, I'm usually, you know, one of some that's always optimistic in the sense of looking for a longer term place to buy it. I think. You know, there's two options for investors. And right now, I think investors could, one, they could sit and wait and be patient and not not make a motion one way stronger than another just based on emotions right now, because there's a lot of emotions. We mentioned the bounce from mid-June, which is rather sharp. um, And that was kind of an emotional play, I feel, from, you know, a lot of investors at that time. So, there's that option. And then also, there is an option to look for longer term plays. You mentioned NVIDIA, um, obviously, a company in the semiconductor space that has high margins. It has cash flow. Um, You can look at a company like Microsoft as well that's at a high quality tech play uh, with an economic mode. And so there's other options, but those are the two options that I think are the strongest for investors to assess at this point, Seema.
3: Andres, as you look at the fixed income market, are you seeing more portfolio investors allocate more money towards bonds versus equities?
6: Well, after a horrid start of the year, uh, it's fair to say that the outflows from the asset class have stopped. Uh, And it's a positive sign to see. People are coming to a conclusion that when something like U.S. high yield is paying you close to 9 percent, it is a time to consider uh, getting back into fixed income uh, investments, especially those that have shorter maturities. When you are less worried about rate sensitivity of the asset class, we're also seeing more activity within investment grade uh, for high quality assets, take your money center banks, uh, senior debt. Uh, those are attracting fair amount of demand from investors. So we're seeing tentative signs of improving demand for fixed income after a difficult start of the year.
3: Yeah, Delano, that seems to be the common theme, finding those high-quality names, whether it's in fixed-income instruments or equities at a time where the path forward is a little bit less certain, given we have an inflation report in less than one week, you know, trepidation around what the Fed will do later this month. What would you say is your top trade right now?
0: Yeah, and going back to that, I guess the mega cap tech, uh, where we like to stay safe, we like to see cash flow potentially in some areas, dividend. So I, I you know, I know, you know we're talking about Apple later on in this program. I think Apple is obviously an area to look at. I think Microsoft is an area to look at, and not forgetting for investors the dividend plays that are paying some sort of cash um, quarterly for. For for investors right now, as we wait out the volatility in the growth chain, because there's still going to be uh, more volatility in the near term. If you look at what potentially could happen, you know, with different you know sectors and different you know prints of especially with unemployment in Q4 Q1, um, I think you go back to safety and mega cap and to some dividend plays. Sima,
3: Andres, your year-end target for the ten-year yield right now at 3.3 percent. Uh,
0: We think we
6: can drift a bit higher from here, but not miles away from the levels we're at now, uh, if inflation uh, cooperates and continues to come down from current levels.
3: Okay, we'll leave it there. Andres and Delano, great to see you both. Thanks for getting this show started with us. And when we come back, Russia's Vladimir Putin blasting Europe and the U.S. over the global energy crisis. His comments coming up. Plus, Apple set to unveil a host of new products today, a sneak peek at what's in store coming up. Yes, we've got that. And why Mark Cuban is comparing crypto to the early days of the internet? A very busy hour. Still ahead. Well what exchange? We're back in two. What does it
7: mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
3: Welcome back to the latest on Europe's energy crisis. Russian President Vladimir Putin saying this morning, Germany and Western sanctions are to blame for the shutdown of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Speaking at an economic forum, Putin blasting a proposal by the EU for a price cap on Russian gas as stupid, adding global demand for Russian energy is high. EU energy ministers will hold an emergency meeting on Friday to discuss that plan. Amid this, Oxford Economics putting out a note this week saying higher gas and electricity prices and not physical gas shortages pose the biggest downside risk to Europe's economy. They forecast Eurozone growth to contract by 1% from peak to trough this winter. Joining me now is Daniel Kraul, senior economist at Oxford Economics. And Daniel, it's great to see you today. I guess the countries at most risk across Europe, you would say, is Germany, Netherlands and Poland. Is that right? Because they've made the biggest uh, cuts to gas consumption to date?
1: Actually, they're in a relatively good position going into winter. They have relatively high gas storage levels and have managed to cut gas consumption. That is so crucial uh, to get through a winter where we expect to have a much lower supplies than what we would like to. Uh, The country most at risk at this point appears to be uh, uh, Italy, where very little gas consumption savings have been made to date, um, and which is most at risk if uh, supplies are disrupted going further.
3: This emergency meeting that's being held on Friday, what do you expect EU ministers to discuss and and the solutions they'll come forth with?
1: There's currently a flurry of activity at uh, national and EU level coming up with uh, different fiscal and regulatory interventions in the energy markets to bring down the prices for consumers and to safeguard businesses. Um, Currently, there seems to be consensus around imposing some sort of revenue cap uh, on energy producers that sell into the grid, particularly for electricity producers. Uh, There is some consensus on windfall taxation to be taxing the large profits that renewables and other uh, producers with low operating costs are currently making, and also to uh, subsidize the bills or to to use those windfall taxes to uh, ease the pain on the most vulnerable. Uh, New suggestions are coming in to impose a price cap on gas from Russia and potentially other suppliers, um, as well as other other measures that may come later on. Uh, It's currently a moving uh, field. We'll, we'll find out how the chips fall uh, probably later this month.
2: How
3: bad could it get this winter?
1: Well, the biggest risk that uh, we saw a couple of months ago when the Russian supplies of gas dropped massively was gas rationing, as in physical shortages that would require hard rationing and basically uh, shutting down parts of the economy, parts of industry, which would mean severe recessions. Uh, where we are now, we see this risk as much less likely, given the very positive uh, Developments on the supply side and on the refilling of of, of storages, even without uh, Russian gas. So, uh, currently, we just foresee that governments will need to step in to, uh, on the one hand, uh, so subsidize the the most vulnerable, but at the same time also bring in measures to suppress energy demand because we simply don't have enough enough energy as we would like to. And these two goals are con- contradictory. Uh, so it is a fine balancing act. But at the moment, we just see the price mechanisms and, and, and the, the the high cost of gas and electricity as being the big key risk to the economy rather yeah. than a physical shortage.
3: So if this energy crisis is going to lead to a deeper recession across Europe. Uh, how do ECB poly- policymakers respond? There is a interest rate meeting tomorrow.
1: Correct. Well, the ECB, just like other major central banks, are currently preoccupied with inflation, first and foremost. They want to prevent the anchoring of it, uh, inflation expectations. Now, if you look at previous crises, the, during the eurozone sovereign debt crisis, we had the whatever-it-takes, which backstop the sovereign debt markets in southern Europe. During the COVID pandemic, we had an unconditional uh, asset purchase program that's wound down now. And going into this crisis, it's, it's much less favorable for governments, where the ECB seems to be intent on Uh, providing much less support and so
3: yeah i know just curious does this mean that the euro just weakens even more against the dollar then
1: well the euro is primarily driven by the disastrous terms of trade uh for for europe and the the recession that we're entering the u.s is in a much better position uh, and so we expect it to continue to outperform and the euro to to remain weak uh, for the foreseeable future as we don't see a, a sort of return to business as usual with russia which would unlock Uh, the the gas supplies that we're so missing in Europe.
3: Yeah, we'll see how that impacts the trade imbalance. Uh, Currently trading at a 20-year low against the dollar. Daniel, great stuff. Thank you for walking us through what all this means for Europe. We appreciate it. Daniel Kral of Oxford Economics. Still on deck, big changes reportedly coming to Instagram as Mark Zuckerberg and the company looks to change tact.
0: Today's
9: big number, 55.3 years, that's the average age of new CEOs hired at big U.S. companies in 2022, according to Chris Colder Associates. That's up from 46 years in 2005.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
3: Let's get a check on this morning's headlines outside of markets and your money. NBC's Philip Manna in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip.
10: Hi, Sima, good morning. The documents seized from former President Trump's Florida home included highly classified information about a foreign government's nuclear program. That's according to The Washington Post. Citing people familiar with the matter, the Post reports that some of the documents detailed top-secret U.S. operations, and they were, quote, so closely held, only the president, a cabinet-level or near-cabinet-level official could authorize others to know about them. She added that no one in Mar-a-Lago should have been allowed anywhere near them. NBC News is working to confirm the post reporting, but the DOJ declined to comment. The paper says the FBI has not commented, but we did hear from a Trump spokesperson on Twitter who accused the Post of serving as a propaganda arm of the Biden administration and colluding to leak information. A former top Trump adviser is facing state indictment in New York. Steve Bannon confirmed to NBC News overnight that he is under investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney after the Washington Post reported he plans to surrender tomorrow. Last year, the Manhattan D.A. opened an investigation into his connection to a group that was supposed to use private funds to build a border wall. Federal prosecutors had pursued similar charges, alleging he and several others defrauded thousands of donors in the We Build the Wall campaign, but he was pardoned by former President Trump. However, that only covers federal charges, In this case is from the state. In a statement to NBC News, Bannon said, quote, I am never going to stop fighting. In fact, I have not yet begun to fight. They'll have to kill me first. Those are some of the major stories from here. Sima, I'll send it back to you.
3: Philip, we appreciate it. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much. Philomena in New York. Straight ahead, China's Xi Jinping and Russia's Vladimir Putin reportedly set to meet face-to-face for the first time since the Ukraine war began. Expectations for that summit coming up. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Stocks losing steam as investors come to grips that the Fed's hawkish policy won't be going anywhere anytime soon. Futures fighting to stop the skid. Apple gearing out for the big event with a tech giant expected to pull back the curtain on a brand new iPhone. But will all the hype help repel one of the key stocks in the market? And shopping shift as Meta reportedly looks to scale back its e-commerce, offering an Instagram, offering on Instagram and pivot towards more profitable endeavors. It is Wednesday, September 7th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. It is right around 530 a.m. here on the East Coast. Futures right now indicating a slightly higher open. The Dow was up about 60 points when we started the show Losing a little bit of steam now. Down now, up about 34 points. Nasdaq higher by 30 points in pre-market. This comes after the Nasdaq posted its longest losing streak since 2016. It's now down about 27 percent from its recent high. In fact, the NDX, the Nasdaq 100, closing below its 200-day moving average yesterday. So a lot of pain in tech. We'll be monitoring that. Throughout the day, turning to the bond market, treasuries continuing their march higher. The 10-year yield currently sitting at 3.31 percent. Let's also hit oil. Prices slightly higher despite demand concerns over continued COVID curbs in China. WTI crude, $87.64, so we're higher uh, by eight-tenths of one percent. A similar story with Brent crude at $93 a barrel. Let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories. Bertha Coombs here with those. Hi, Bertha.
5: Hey, Seema. We're learning new details about the investigation into trades by Senator Richard Burr involving his knowledge about the COVID outbreak. A court unsealing evidence from the FBI's 2020 probe of the Republican from North Carolina. Burr was accused of making trades using non-public knowledge about the looming threat of the pandemic, selling more than half of his and his wife's equity holdings in February of 2020. The Justice Department launched an insider trading investigation into Burr, which eventually concluded without criminal charges. A spokesman for the senator did not respond to a request for comment on those documents. Elizabeth Holmes, meantime, is seeking a new trial, citing fresh evidence. In a court filing, the former Theranos CEO says one of the prosecution's star witnesses visited her house to express regret for his role in her trial. Holmes says the former Theranos lab director made the unannounced visit last month and told her partner that the government had twisted his testimony. Her lawyers argue that the apparent statements qualifies her for a new trial or a hearing to discuss that evidence. And Instagram is reportedly planning to drastically scale back shopping features on its platform. That, according to a report in the information, citing an internal memo. Staff at the Meta-owned social media company have been told it will shift its e-commerce priorities toward projects that directly drive advertising. Seema, the report says that Instagram will test a simpler and less personalized version of the shopping page over the next few months. I have to say that those shopping pages are distracting. They I, are. I find myself oh my just going down the rabbit hole.
3: I'm with you. Same here. Uh, I certainly have bought a couple <laughs> things that I've been shown on, on Instagram. Right. Bertha, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Let's pivot to tech and the highly anticipated launch event for Apple. Its first in-person one since 2019. The company expected to pull back the curtain on several hardware products, including the new iPhone 14. This following record earnings for Apple's third quarter amid macro headwinds for most of the tech sector. Taking a look at the stock ahead of the event, we're trading at $155.00. Uh, up about four-tenths of a percent in pre-market trade, but it is off about 13 percent this year. For more on what to expect, let's bring in Alex Kanterwitz, founder of Big Technology and a CNBC contributor, Krish Sankar, Managing Director and Senior Research Analyst at Cowan. It's great to see you both. And Alex, I was looking back at some of your previous interviews, and you've spoken so passionately about Apple iPhone upgrades. What makes you so confident that Apple can pull it off again?
11: Well, this is what Apple does. It every year releases a new iPhone, incremental upgrades for sure, but the company manages to uh, still be a powerhouse. You're looking at $190 billion in iPhone sales last year. And if you take the iPhone uh, 13, it doesn't really look different than the 12. And I don't anticipate the 14 is going to look much different from the 13. But even with these incremental updates, you still see the company, uh, you know, act as a powerhouse and sell, you know, a truckload of iPhones after truckload. And I think that's what's going to happen again this this year as well.
3: Okay, Krish, uh, I was looking at some sell site analyst notes last night. Uh, Most uh, Wall Street strategists are expecting about a hundred dollar price increase for the iPhone 14. Is that more or less what you're forecasting?
9: Yeah, thanks for having me. I would say that's largely in line. You know, there's some inflationary cost adjustment. That's being done. But I think uh, to the earlier point, most investors expect this to be just incremental, not a dramatic change. Uh, from our understanding, the real big change is really actually some of the additional features along with increased memory content, especially on the DRAM side. Longer term, that could be capable of holding uh, VR, AR uh, uh, expertise over time. But I think largely incremental changes versus anything dramatically different versus the iPhone thirty.
3: Okay, Alex, this is the first in-person meeting since the pandemic. Uh, How important is it for Tim Cook to really carve out a message not just to uh, consumers, those who customers who have the iPhone or will get the iPhone, but also investors as well?
11: You know, my perspective on these type of events is they don't matter as much as they used to. Um, I think what Chris is saying, that the macro really here is, is the key. You know, where do we end up going with these interest rates? How does inflation tail off? Are, is someone going to want to wait another year because all their household goods cost more and now they have to wait uh, to buy an iPhone? Because again, you're 12 and you're 13, you're even your you know, previous edition iPhones. Maybe you can live off the 10 for another couple of years before going in on the 14. So, you know, I've been at these events. In previous years, we used to hang on every single word that Tim Cook would say, you know, for good reason because the, the changes were dramatic but because they're not dramatic now I think what really matters most is the macro what's going on in the rest of the economy so Tim Cook could go up there and basically read you know a press release which is actually what these events actually are but not say anything inspirational and I don't think that would change the Apple story which is completely dependent on what's happening in the broader economy
3: yeah and I guess it also speaks to the recent price action Chris and shares of Apple the stock has underperformed in recent weeks and a note from bespoke also they looked at the historical historical performance of Apple on a launch day, and they found the stock has tended to have a negative reaction. So what's your trade on the stock right now?
9: Yeah, I think uh, that's largely true, especially on a short-term perspective. right? It's always been sell the news kind of an event over time. But I think strategically speaking, when you look at it longer term, it's still a great story. Uh, yeah, the risk is what happens in calendar 23. And to be completely honest, we model iPhone units down actually next year, like down 5%. On a calendar basis, purely because assuming there'll be some kind of a moderation on the macro side, especially the high end consumer, which has been extremely strong. But the bottom line is it's still a good stock. It's still a good story because they still have very good, tremendous strong free cash flow generation. I do think, you know, in a modest recession scenario, investors do tend to gravitate towards higher quality names. And Apple is definitely one of them. But I do understand the risk is definitely on the iPhone side, which is the biggest driver of profits and, uh, and it is really geared towards a high-end consumer, which has been good so far. Let's see how it holds in calendar 23.
3: Alex, part of the story for Apple and its growth has been outside of the U.S., specifically China, a country struggling with COVID lockdowns and a, a slowdown in its economy. How do you think Apple manages that risk, that challenge going forward?
11: I mean, it, it, right now, Apple's doing a fine job managing the China risk. But that being said, I think it's underappreciated how big this risk is not only in terms of the shutdowns that we see from covid, but we don't know how China is going to act geopolitically. We've seen U.S. political leaders go over, uh, you know, and and start to um, ruffle the feathers of of the Chinese government. Um, You know, is there is there a scenario? And I hate to say it, but it's possible that there's a war um, and then Apple has to take a stance there. And you understand that Apple is so over leveraged in China that any little one of these quakes, uh, you know, can end up uh, causing serious damage to the company's business. So I think right now what Apple's doing with China is it's holding its breath, it's managing its way through these shutdowns. Um, but if there's a bigger shock than the one that we've seen before, the company is exposed and could end up, you know, seeing some serious damage there.
3: Yeah, and, and Krish, of course, Apple has made steps towards uh, producing um, or investing more in India, but it's still not enough given its it, its uh, focus on its investment in China. Right. That's
9: that's right. I think uh, Apple definitely is, has is over to China at this point. They've been gradually moving the supply chain. Foxconn, one of their suppliers, does have a facility in India that actually makes iPhone today for India largely and then maybe a little bit of the overseas market. But I think they're moving slowly, but definitely has a huge presence, both in terms of suppliers as well as employees in China. But I think to Alex's point, you know, there's the risk always, but the biggest challenge I think for investors is that political outcomes are, are very hard to handicap. And uh, so uh, I think you just have to go with the status quo as the assumption versus predicting any uh, dramatic political shifts.
3: OK, well, there's a, a key meeting between President Biden and China's leader, Xi Jinping, in November. We'll be waiting for that. For now, we'll wait for the iPhone event. Krish Sankar and Alex Kanterwitz, thank you for walking us through what you're expecting today. Have a great day.
9: Thank you. Thank you.
3: Now to a developing story around Russia and China. New details emerging on a meeting between the presidents of those two countries. The face-to-face meeting set to be the first since Russia began its invasion of Ukraine earlier this year. Eunice Yun joining us now from Beijing with more. And Yunus, when and where will President Xi and Putin be meeting?
12: Well, so far, China has yet to confirm overseas travel plans for President Xi, but uh, Russian state media have been quoting Moscow's envoy envoy for Beijing as saying that President Putin and President Xi are going to be meeting face-to-face at a Chinese-backed international forum in Central Asia next week. Now, if this is true, this would be the first time that President Xi has traveled outside of China since the early days of the pandemic, and also, as uh, Sima, as you mentioned, it would be the first in person meeting between President Xi and President Putin uh, since the start of the Ukraine war. Now, the Kazakh as well as the Uzbek governments have both announced plans for visits by Xi as well, with the Kazakh foreign ministry saying that President Xi is expected to meet with their president as well. Now, a face to face meeting uh, between Putin and Xi uh, would have um, several signals. Uh, one would be, of course, the importance. That President Xi places on this no limits, as it's been described, relationship with President Putin and also his satisfaction or President Xi's satisfaction with the zero COVID policy. And then finally, his confidence to consider leaving the country at a time when um, we're heading into a big political reshuffle in mid-October, because these couple of weeks ahead of these big Congresses is usually a time when we start to hear a little bit about horse trading, Uh, some jockeying position among leaders and officials. And if he is actually confirmed to leave at this time, uh, that suggests that he's feeling quite secure in uh, getting a third, an unprecedented third term which would give him another five years
3: at yeah. least. Sima? I imagine quite significant for Xi Jinping, his first, potentially first foreign trip in two and a half years. What do you think will be on the agenda? I, manage, I, manage, uh, I imagine it's many different topics from the alliance, Western alliances to oil, but what do you think will be top of mind when those two leaders possibly meet? I, th- I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, I'm sure it's
12: going to be uh, the energy situation, um, like you said, of the Western alliance and what to do about it. I think that, um, of course, the fact that he would be also going to Central Asia is uh, indicating that Central Asia is a really important part of uh, President Xi's plan. It's only been about 10 years, so 2013, when President Xi had started his Belt and Road Initiative. And it's really no surprise that he would want to show that um, there's a lot of importance, not only with President Xi, uh, President Putin, but also with Central Asia and really bringing that part of the world into China's fold. See,
3: mm-hmm. We'll be watching. Yunus Yun, thank you for joining us today. All right, coming up, crypto crashing once again, even as one of the biggest players in the space rolls out its highly anticipated system upgrade. What it could mean for the future of the sector. Plus, why Mark Cuban is comparing crypto to the early days of the internet. we got the full story ahead on Worldwide Exchange. Now time for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. And first up is Coupa Software. It is up 12% in pre-market trade. Shares are soaring after the company reported better than expected second quarter revenue and gave strong guidance for the full year. Subscription revenue climbing more than 20%. Second is UiPath, the maker of automation software, reporting a smaller second quarter loss and revenue beating forecasts. But the company is cutting its outlook for the year, citing currency headwinds and uncertainty about the global economy. Stock is down 21 percent in pre-market. Stock three, Newell Brands, the maker of Rubbermaid, containers, Sharpie pens and other consumer products, is cutting its outlook for the third quarter and full year. The company says retailers have ordered fewer products and inflation continues to pressure its customers. Newell now expects sales to decline this year. Stock is down 4.6 percent. Another rough day shaping up for cryptocurrencies. This after Bitcoin closed at its lowest level since mid-June, right now at 18,786 down about uh, half a percent. It's not just digital assets; stocks in the space are also getting hit hard. Coinbase coming off its 13th down day in 15, down get this, more than 75 percent this year. MicroStrategy, Ride Blockchain, and more also sharply down this year. CBC Tech reporter Mackenzie Segal is joining us now. And Mackenzie, are we seeing a new shift in sector sentiment?
7: Hey, good morning, Seema. So it's not necessarily that there's been a new shift in consumer sentiment and investor sentiment. It's just the fact that ongoing problems for this industry are gaining in momentum. Crypto prices tend to move based on one of two big things. So we've seen the crypto prices react to regulation, more on that in a minute, but then also it has a lot to do with macroeconomic events. So when we see the Fed you know, boost up those interest rate hikes, We see crypto prices move on that. The Fed chair recently made it clear that we're likely headed for another big bump up in September. That'll suck liquidity out of the system. Never a good thing for a risk asset like Bitcoin or Ethereum. On the regulation front, this week is the deadline for federal agencies to respond to President Biden's executive order on crypto. So we're expected to see their recommendations for how they plan to regulate on everything ranging from the environmental implications, to law enforcement, to consumer protections. We recently uh, had the House Committee on Oversight and Reform ask that major crypto exchanges like FTX, Binance, and Coinbase uh, get back to them on what they're doing to actively uh, protect their consumers. Meanwhile, the FBI is getting involved and they're asking that DeFi or decentralized finance pro- protocols beef up their security measures as hacks wipe out billions of dollars. And investor money uh, that has been stored in their crypto wallets. So the level of accountability from regulators really stepping up in an appreciable way in the last year, not to mention the fact that three of the three of what were once titans of the crypto industry uh, are now in bankruptcy court in the Southern District of New York. So investor confidence has really been rocked in the last few months, Seema.
3: Yeah, laundry list of negative headlines. McKinsey, on top of these price swings, Ether, which is outperforming Bitcoin on the year by a wide margin, finally rolling out this highly anticipated system upgrade. What can you tell us about it and what are How do you expect investors to respond?
7: So this upgrade is years in the making. It's called the merge, and it's a very significant event. It's going to be historic for the entire industry, not just for this blockchain. Monday was the last step that needed to happen ahead of this big merge. It went well. We're expecting uh, the upgrade to take effect sometime between September 13th to the 15th The reason that it's so significant has to do with a couple of different things. So one, minting Ether, which is the token associated with that blockchain, will suddenly consume a whole lot less energy. And then the second big point here, and this is why analysts think that Ether has been outperforming Bitcoin as of late, I what's expected to happen post merge is that ether will become a deflationary currency. And so when you have a reduced supply of ether, the thinking is that those holding the ether token will it'll there will be a greater value proposition there. You know, a basic supply and de, uh, supply and demand dynamic and that's why you've seen the call put ratio indicate a lot of investor confidence and that's like that doesn't even get into all the technological benefits that are unlocked by this upgrade, Sema.
3: That is fascinating. I remember those prior upgrades. A lot of times that would spark some in- investor interest, saying that this will be a better, more efficient cryptocurrency. So we'll see how investors respond today as we await for that upgrade. Mackenzie, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, on the crypto beat. Before we let you go, Kara Swisher sat down with billionaire investor Mark Cuban at this year's Code Conference last night. He shared some of his thoughts on crypto and its future.
1: Crypto has a place for sure. And but what's missing is new applications. Mm-hmm. Just like in the early days of the internet, we say, oh, "Well, the internet's old and boring, right?" Because mm-hmm. we haven't seen anything new. Mm-hmm. And it really took um, for mobile to come along to to really propel it going forward. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't have that right now for crypto, so it's kind of boring and it's just going to stay boring with DeFi and NFTs as collectibles and maybe some other little things coming along. So it doesn't something seem new. to interest you. No, I, I'm still very interested in still investing, but it's just early.
3: Okay, Mackenzie, I know you're still there, so your quick thoughts there. Yeah, so I think that you know part of why investors and blockchain
7: developers are so excited about this upgrade is that it unlocks a lot of potential for Ethereum. Why that's important is that Ethereum is the backbone of DeFi, and so you you just heard in that soundbite the fact that you know they don't feel like there's been a lot of innovation in that space, not a lot of exciting things happening in DeFi right now. And of course, DeFi has promised to be this uh, bastion of cutting out the middleman, financial services where you don't need a banker or a lawyer. And with Ethereum getting this upgrade, a lot of functions functionality will ultimately be possible. So we're talking about greater speed. We're talking about greater scalability, lower fees. And so that's what's so,
3: uh, I I don't know that I necessarily agree. I do think we're going to see big, uh, big changes in that space. Well, always great to see Cuban way and McKinsey. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, as we head to break, a reminder, be sure to sign up for the most powerful investment event of this year, CBC's Delivering Alpha, returning on September 28th. To sign up, just scan the QR code on your screen. Do it right now or go to DeliveringAlpha.com. We will be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A busy day ahead for traders, including the Fed's Beige Book, out at 2 p.m. Eastern. We'll also get results from American Eagle Outfitters, GameStop, and Dave & Busters. And several speeches from Fed leaders on tap today. Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin at 9 a.m., Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester at 10 a.m., Federal Reserve Vice Chair Lil Brainerd at 12.30 p.m., and Federal Reserve Vice Chair Michael Barr at 2. And as we discussed earlier, Apple set to unveil its latest products, including the rumored iPhone 14 at 1 p.m. Eastern. To the broader market, stocks continue to face choppy trading, with the Nasdaq notching its longest losing streak since late 2016. For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Peter Bookvar, chief investment officer at Bleakley Financial Group. He's also a CNBC contributor. Peter, good morning to you. Why would you say tech is underperforming in recent weeks?
2: Morning, Seema. I I think it has to do with the the reacceleration in interest rates. Uh, both the short end of the yield curve and the longer end, because we've seen a pretty tight relationship over the past couple of years, uh, or at least beginning late last year with the rise in rates and uh, markets taking more of a, a finer tooth comb through tech because of the higher valuations in tech relative to other parts of the market therefore making it more sensitive to changes in interest rates.
3: Yeah, there seems to be this inverse relationship between growth stocks and yields. So is that just the playbook then going forward? If yields rise faster than expected, you have to be a bit more cautious about owning growth sectors like tech?
2: Well, I think that helps to explain the selling up until recently. But I think now investors are now beginning to question, Okay, what's the slowdown in economic activity going to have on these tech companies, because we're realizing that tech is not immune from a global slowdown. Tech is not immune from this this short uh, strength in the dollar. In fact, technology probably has the most sensitivity to the strength in the dollar because it's the most international in terms of where they do their business.
3: Yeah, the dollar now at a 24-year high against the yen, a 20-year high against the euro. I mean, these are just historic milestones. How much stronger can it get, Peter?
2: It, it is pretty amazing I, I, I think the, the markets are trying to sniff out when the Fed will begin to slow down the pace of rate hikes. I think if uh, at their September meeting, if they go fifty in 70, instead of 75 and the and the ECB for example this week goes 75 instead of fifty uh, I, I think that could be enough to, to to slow down this rally in the dollar because from what I see, it seems that the rally in the dollar is mostly an interest rate differential thing. It is the Fed that is more aggressive than all these other central banks, particularly the Bank of Japan. Uh, And that if the Fed starts to blink and starts to get worried about over-tightening, that will be enough to slow this rally in the dollar.
3: A quick word on high yield. We're seeing a bigger sell-off there than broader market. Is that a cause for concern?
2: I, I think it is. And I think people also have to watch not just the high yield market, but also the leveraged loan market, which is also sort of part of that universe because of this dramatic rise in interest rates and worries about cash flows because of the slowing economy. And it will be reflected in those bond prices.
3: Okay, we'll leave it there. And we'll be watching the HYG. That's the high yield ETF. Peter, as always, thank you for your time. The Dow is currently up 55 points in pre market. Thank you for joining us. Squawk Box is next.